Amen. Well, good evening. It's a privilege to be with you this evening, and a greater privilege to be asked to share God's Word uh, with you this evening. Um, so before we start, let me open us up in a word of prayer. Oh, great God of highest heaven, Lord, we, we praise you because you're great. We praise you because you're good. We thank you. Thank you for making yourself known to us through your word. Thank you for opening our blinded eyes. Lord, we just, we just thank you for your kindness. Lord, we commit this time into your hands. Ask that you will take your word through the spirit and work it in our hearts. Open our eyes to your, your truth and let us not be the same. Father, we commit this time into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this evening, as you can see on the screen, um, I'd like to share with you uh, the topic of the fear of the Lord. Um, as you're probably aware of, I've been teaching through the book of Proverbs in our Sunday school class. Um, last time I was with you, I shared a little bit from, from Proverbs. And as I'm sure you're also aware, the fear of the Lord is quite a significant topic in the book of, of, of Proverbs. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's the essence of Wisdom. Um, so that's what I want to talk about tonight. What is the fear of the Lord? What does it look like? Um, how do I know that I, that I have it? Um, what may not be so clear is exactly what is the fear of the Lord. It's a very full concept. Um, it's not uncommon to hear people today say they fear the Lord and they just mean they have a general knowledge of God or they have a general reverence for for God, but as we're going to see this evening, the fear of the Lord is, is much more than that. The fear of the Lord, really, you could say, is the summation of what it means to be a believer, what it means to be a follower of Christ. It's the essence of wisdom. It is an intimate knowledge of God's character that works itself out in a life of obedience. So, here's the definition we're going to uh, use this evening for the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is that hard attitude which is humbly submitted to, stands in awe of, and by faith joyfully lives in light of all that God has revealed to us and done for us. So what I want to do uh, with the rest of our time together this evening is just ask three questions. The first is, what is the fear of the Lord specifically? The second is, where does it come from? And the third is what comes from it, what comes from the fear of the Lord in our lives. Um, So we have a lot of content to work through. Uh, It took our Sunday school class three weeks to get through um, all of this, so uh, we're not going to get everything. But I just want to lay a foundation for us. Um, Won't be able to hit everything, but uh, I also don't want to give you information overload tonight, but hopefully we can uh, get a good concept as we walk out this evening. So let's begin by asking the question, what is the fear of the Lord? It's not enough to simply define the fear of the Lord by explaining the word fear and explaining the word Lord, just like you can't define the word butterfly by explaining the word butter and the word fly, right? It is a, it is a whole package. It is, it is a, it, they, they belong together. You have to use the context to figure out all that this package Means the fear of the Lord as a whole. What, what is it? So I want to give you four things 
that the fear of the Lord consists of. What does the fear of the Lord mean? And again, there's probably a lot more that we could say. Um, there, prob- there, there definitely is. Um, but I just want to uh, uh, get the main things here. Number one, the fear of the Lord is inseparable from revelation. The fear of the Lord requires God's revelation. It requires God's word. Without Scripture, a proper fear of the Lord would be impossible. The fear of the Lord primarily comes from His Word. Our fear of Him is based upon what He has revealed about Himself. Pagans all over the world today, people in the Bible's time, they they didn't have revelation. They had a general knowledge of God and they... They feared the capriciousness of the God. They had no idea what to expect from him. He was, uh, uh, he, they didn't know what he expected, what, whether he would wake up one day in a bad mood or not. Um, goes something like this. He, he's waiting somewhere just up in heaven to drop a piano on some guy. Um, waiting to hit the smite button. That's a pagan concept of the fear of the Lord. They're, it's not connected with revelation. They don't know what he expects of them. That's not what the fear of the Lord is. It requires revelation. It requires God to reveal who He is and what He requires. So the fear of the Lord requires and is inseparable from revelation. We, we know what He's like. It's not just a general idea of God, but it's the fear of who? In the Old Testament, it's the fear of capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Well, who is that? That is... Yahweh, that is the God who has done what? He has revealed himself. He has covenanted with Israel. Look at Psalm 19, verse 7 to 9. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Then you get this, The fear of the Lord is clean. You've probably, if you're like me, you've read through that before and you've, you've sort of thought to yourself, well, that's sort of out of place, isn't it? You get all these synonyms for God's word and all of a sudden you get the fear of the Lord. Well, what is that, what is that doing there? I think the answer is plain. It's because there's no fear of the Lord without his word. And the primary aim of God's word is that our hearts would fear him. God's revelation is so connected to the fear of the Lord that they might as well be synonyms for one another. Listen to this uh, verse from Deuteronomy. The Lord said to me, Gather the people to me that they may uh, hear my words, hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on earth. So you could summarize it this way. One of the primary purposes of Scripture is to reveal God to us and to call us to respond appropriately to Him. There's no proper relating to God that is not done through His Word. So the fear of the Lord primarily comes from God's Word. And and so before we move on, just by way of implication, the way we relate to God's Word, therefore, is one of the best indicators of whether or not I fear Him. My heart attitude towards God is revealed in my heart attitude towards 
God's word. If the goal of God's word is to reveal himself and to call us to respond rightly to him, then what you do with scripture reveals your true heart attitude towards God. God and his word are inseparable. Psalm 138 verse 2 says, You have exalted above all things your name and your word. There's no proper relating to God that's not done through the scriptures. And how you respond to God's word evidences whether or not you fear him. I mean, just try to think of a command in the scriptures about how you should relate to God that does not also relate to his word. We're commanded to trust God. We're also commanded to trust his word. We're commanded to delight in God. And the psalmist proclaims how much he delights in God's word. We're commanded to obey God. We're commanded to obey his word. God creates life and his word creates life. God is true and his word is true. God endures forever and his word endures forever. And so the only way we can worship God and know God and be made right with God and fear God is through his word. And how, um, how you treat God in your heart is evidenced by how you treat his word. So that's our first point. The fear of the Lord is inseparable from revelation. It can't be had apart from revelation. And what you do with God's revelation, with his word, reveals whether or not you fear him. So that's our first point. What else is the, is the fear of the Lord? Second, the fear of the Lord consists of an intimate knowledge of God's holy and good character. So we just saw that the fear of the Lord requires revelation. But why? Why does the fear of the Lord require revelation? Well, it's because the primary aims of God's word is not just to give us some practical tips for life. There's many practical things in the Bible. It's not just to make us have good emotions, although that a lot of times happens. God's primary purpose of his word is to reveal himself, that we might know him and live in light of his character. Flip with me to Proverbs chapter 2, verse, verse 5. It's a very significant verse in the, the book, of, book of Proverbs. And we're going to come back to this a little bit later, but first I just want to point one thing out um, here. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 5. Look at what is parallel with the fear of the Lord. It says, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. The fear of the Lord is essentially knowing God, it's being intimately acquainted with his revealed character. And knowing here means much more than just knowing information. It's not just knowing about God. It is an intimate awareness of his person, who he is, his character. Uh, it's easy to love knowing about God, talking about God, teaching about God, and yet not know God. Um, this is not merely knowing about him, but a knowing him. You will know God. It's a big difference. Um, this knowing him is when the truth about him takes root in our hearts and it produces right affections for him that leads us into a life of obedience to him. And we're going to see that a little bit later. 
But what is it specifically about his character? So it's, uh, the fear of the Lord is primarily an intimate knowledge of his revealed character. We'll flip over to chapter 9, verse 10 of the book of Proverbs. Something very similar is said, but yet we get a little bit, a little bit more here. Fear of the Lord is primarily a knowledge, a personal knowledge of God's character, but what attributes? Well, many attributes, but one in particular here. Verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord is primarily an intimate awareness with God's holy character. It consists in a profound recognition that God is holy. He's not to be played around with. Flip over to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to stay here for, for a minute. Exodus chapter 20, verse, verse 18. Obviously, this is Mount Sinai, giving of the law, and the Lord is, Lord is revealing himself um, to, the, to the people of Israel. Look what happens in chapter 20 of Exodus, verse 18. Is now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people feared. They were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. One of the purposes of Mount Sinai wasn't only to give the law to Israel, it was to teach about this holy God who's going to live among them. That to break these commandments is nothing less than rebelling against this holy and terrifying God. And so, while we're going to talk, the fear of the Lord isn't merely fear. It's not only that, but it's not less than that. A fear and a trembling uh, is, a, is an essential part of what it means to fear the Lord. It's a trembling awareness of God's holiness. In Lynchburg, you're probably aware, there's a train trestle that goes over the uh, James River. And uh, it's not uncommon, unfortunately, to hear of this uh, often in the news, where young people will jump over the fence, ignore all the warning signs, and go venture out onto the, uh, onto the tracks. And it's the danger of it that makes it so exciting and, and, and fun, probably. Um, but all too often, what happens is that before they are aware of it, a train starts approaching, and they don't have time to get off the tracks. They, um, they try, and eventually what happens, they're either they're hit or they're, they have to jump off to their, to their death. And the question is, what, what went wrong in a situation like that? What went wrong is they failed to fear. They failed to take the character of the train and the danger of the place seriously. They did not have a proper fear. They ignored the innate danger that the place posed. And the same is true of, of God. He's to be taken seriously. He is holy. He is dangerous. You don't play around with God. He's to be obeyed. And that truth ought to produce a trembling attitude in our hearts. It's part of what it means to, to fear the Lord. So it's a holy Trembling before his holy character. But if we stop there, we would only be getting half 
of what it means to, to fear the Lord. Because it's not only a trembling before his holy character, it must also include an intimate awareness of his goodness. How we respond to his holiness is crucial. Um, you may fear his holiness and you want to run the other way. You want to get away from him. It's, you don't like it. You, want to, you don't like his holiness. Or you want to appease him by slavish obedience, whatever it is. And none of that is the fear of the Lord. The proper fear of the Lord. If you're in Exodus 20, look down to verse 20. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, so that the fear of him may be before you, so that you may not sin. So you see that? There's two kinds of fears. He says, don't fear, but the Lord has come so that you might fear. There's two kinds of of fears going on here. There's one kind of fear. It's an improper fear, which sees the holiness of God and wants to run the other way. Get away from it. Don't want it. Don't like it. As though God and His holiness has come to destroy the very people that He's come to covenant with. It's a wrong apprehension of God. And so Moses says, don't have that kind of fear. Rather, God has revealed all of this to you so you might have a different kind of fear. Not the kind that runs away from Him, but the kind of fear that drives you to Him because of faith in His goodness. God revealed Himself so that His people would both tremble before His holiness and run to His goodness. So yes, the fear of the Lord consists in a trembling awareness of God's holy character. I mean, words like dread and trembling are are used to describe it, but it's not all it is. A proper response to God's holiness is not to run from Him. It's to run to Him in faith and His mercy. Because if you run Him, run from Him, you run from His holiness, you get His wrath. But if by faith and His promise you draw near to this holy God, you get salvation. In The Lion and the Witch in the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, um, when the children entered Narnia, one of the children asks Mr. and Mrs. Beaver about Aslan the, the lion. He says, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, well, they're either braver than most or just plain silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mrs. Beaver. Don't you, Mr. Beaver, don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And that's the point here. Yahweh is not safe. He is holy. But don't let that drive you away from him. Because he's also good. And he's also faithful. And he also saves those who trust in him. A proper fear of God de- consists of depending on his mercy alone in the face of his fiery holiness. This is what John Piper says. God means for his power and holiness to kindle fear in us. Not to drive us from him, but to drive us to him. His anger is against those who forsake him and love other things more. 
The safest place in the universe is with our arms around the neck of God. And the most dangerous place is any path where we flee from His presence. Psalm 33.18 says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him. Well, who are they? On those who hope in His steadfast love. You fear Him, you recognize His holiness, and that drives you to rest on His mercy. It's those who have recognized His holiness and their sinfulness and have cast themselves by faith in His mercy as their only hope. That's what it means to fear the Lord. But it doesn't stop there. Number three, the fear of the Lord consists in a humble, trusting submission. And this grows right out of what we've seen. The fear of the Lord drives us to His goodness and then it leads us to obey Him, not out of a slavish fear, but from a heart of faith and love. Those who truly fear the Lord have come to know His holiness and His mercy, and then they desire to bow before Him with their whole lives. And this is the essence of humility. It trusts all that God has spoken, and it humbly bows to Him by faith. Proverbs 15.33 says, The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom and humility. That's what it is. Humility comes before honor. There's no humility where there is no fear of the Lord. They go together. Um, I like how Charles Bridges said it. He said, The fear of the Lord is that affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his Father's law. The fear of the Lord consists in a humble posture that rejects one's own wisdom and submits to what God has commanded and seeks to carefully obey it. So you recognize His holiness, run to His mercy, and then that leads you to desire to submit to all that He has revealed in His Word. That's what it means to fear the Lord. We're not done yet. Number four, the fear of the Lord is also joyful. There it is, one more. It's also joyful and delightful. The fear of the Lord is not something melancholy. It's not something gloomy or depressing. Um, Listen to some of these verses which connect the fear of the Lord with joy and gladness. Psalm 2.11 says, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. It's a beautiful picture of true worship. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Joy and fear go together. It's a mixture of fearful trembling at His holiness and joy in His goodness. That's what the fear of the Lord looks like. Next, Nehemiah 1.11 says, O Lord, let Your ear be attentive to the prayer of Your servants and to the prayer of Your servants who delight to fear Your name. So let me ask you, what do you delight in? Delighted football, delighted cars and food and marriage and work and books and history. The list can go on. All good things. But do you, do I delight and enjoy and find great pleasure in fearing and trembling before the Lord? Do you delight to let His holiness drive you to His goodness? Do you delight to humbly bow down beneath His Word and submission 
and careful obedience? Do you enjoy worshiping Him with a life humbly submitted to His law? That's what it means to fear the Lord. And if you're a genuine, genuine believer, you do. And our goal is to grow in this. This is how Piper puts it here. He says, fearing God is not a negative experience for those who love God. It is the kind of deeply satisfying trembling and sweet humility and submission that rises in the presence of the absolute power and holiness of God. Fear of the Lord is a delightful thing. If you're a true believer, it is a joyful thing because it's the way we are designed to operate. So that's what it means to to fear the Lord. But where does it come from? How do I go about cultivating this in my life? Obviously, again, if you're a true believer, you have this, but we want it more. We want to grow in this. So how? Where does it come from? Brings us to our next point here. And the first thing we'll say is that the fear of the Lord comes from a new covenant heart. Comes from a new covenant heart. Um... If you're familiar with Romans chapter 3, Paul gives this long list of man's depravity. And he gives this string of Old Testament texts, one after another, to just hammer away how depraved mankind is. And listen to how he concludes the list. He says, there is no, what? Fear of God before their eyes. That's the summary of the problem with mankind. In other words, all that we have said so far about the fear of the Lord and what it is, Paul says that no one possesses it naturally. No one submits to God's revelation. No one trembles before His holiness. No one runs to His goodness. No one humbly submits in faith to His Word. This is why we need the new covenant's work in us. Look at Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 39. This is the promise. It says, I will give them one heart in one way that they may fear me forever. That's what we need. It's our greatest need. For their own good and the good of their children after them. And I will make with them an everlasting covenant and I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts, that they may not turn from me. In other words, it would be impossible to fear the Lord, do everything we've just talked about, unless this divine heart surgery takes place in your heart. Or to say it positively, if you're a genuine believer, you've experienced this heart surgery. God's come and He has done this in you. You have the Spirit in your life producing the fear of the Lord. This is the reason why you believe God and mercy has given you a new heart so that you would respond to His holiness, that you would trust His goodness and desire to submit to His Word. That's the first place it comes from, and that has to be the starting place. If we skip that, uh, fear of the Lord is impossible. The unregenerate person cannot fear the Lord. Number two, the fear of the Lord comes from His Revelation, very similar to what we said at the beginning, but we're going to flesh this out a little bit. Um, First, it's through the hearing of God's word that God actually creates this new covenant heart. 
that God does this work of regeneration in the hearts of his people. First Peter chapter 1, verse 23, says, Since you have been born again, that's the new covenant work, that's regeneration, being born again, all the same terminology. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, how? Through the living and abiding Word of God. And this Word is the Gospel, the good news that was preached to you. So God's Word, His revelation, specifically His Gospel, is the means by which the Spirit works to cause people to be born again. That's the way God creates this new covenant heart in His people. It's always done through His revelation. It's always done through His Word. He never does it apart from His Word. The fear of the Lord comes from His revelation. But then, God's Word is also the source for our continued growth in the fear of the Lord. We don't just begin the Christian life by hearing the Scriptures and then move on. But it is what defines our new life. It's how we began in the fear of the Lord and it's how we grow in the fear of the Lord. Flip with me back to Proverbs chapter 2, verse 5. Look what it says. There's actually a promise here. Obviously, the, the, the foundation of Proverbs is the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. So do you want that? Well, we get a promise. Verse 5, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So that's a promise, and that's what we want. But where does it come from? How do we get it? Well, you've got to meet the conditions first. Look at verse 1 through 4. It says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, inclining your heart to understanding, Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So do you want to fear the Lord more in your life? Do you want all that we talked about, what the fear of the Lord is, do you want that more in your life? Well, where does it come from? It tells us right here. It comes from treasure. God's Word comes for, from digging in it, like you dig in a gold mine, because you value the gold so much, you're going to do anything you can to get it. You treasure it up, you store it up, and then you don't just stop there, but you move on to devoting your life to obeying it, to practicing it. That's where a genuine fear of the Lord comes from, comes from His Word. So before we move on, I just want to pa- unpack this a little bit, a little bit more. You could, you could say it like this. The fear of the Lord is to live in light of all that God has revealed. The fear of the Lord is to so trust His promises and His judgments that we seek to obey Him. It doesn't only live in light of His character, but it also lives in light of His promises and His warnings. It takes him at his word. It takes him seriously. Everything that he has said. 
Bruce Waltke, a commentator on, on Proverbs, said, To fear the Lord is to believe that His promises are true and His threats are real. That's what it means. That's what it means to fear the Lord. That's how you fear Him. You take Him seriously. What He has promised and what He has threatened. Look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse, verse 1. Paul says the same thing. He says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion, how? In the fear of God. So you see the connection between the fear of the Lord and faith in His promises. The attitude of fearing God drives one to holiness as he trusts and rests on his promises. That's the Christian life, pursuing holiness out of faith in God's Word, especially his promises. So the question is, how do you fight sin? How do I fight sin? We, we must not fight sin with general thoughts about God. God is good. God is big. Sin is bad. Um, all true, but it's insufficient. We fight sin by faith. Well, faith in what? Well, specifically faith in God's revelation, especially His promises and His warnings. We wield God's Word, His promises and His threats that He's given by faith to put sin to death. That's what it means to fear the Lord. It takes what He has spoken seriously. And the only way I'll know these promises, these warnings, God's character, is if I am constantly doing Proverbs 2, 1-4, through 4, storing them up. That's how you cultivate it in your life. You people of the Word grow in the Word. That's not it. How else do we go about cultivating the fear of the Lord in our, in our lives? It also comes from a deep sense of our forgiveness. We said earlier that the fear of the Lord, especially the fear of His holiness, does what? It drives us to where? It drives us to His goodness. It drives us to His mercy. But now we're going to see that the reverse is also true. That only after being forgiven can we make actual progress in living out a life that fears the Lord. So you must fear the Lord or you're not going to run to His mercy for forgiveness, but then only after receiving His forgiveness will you be able to live a life that genuinely, fully fears the Lord. Look at Psalm 130, verses 3 through 4. It says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. When you read that, you think that's very counterintuitive. You wouldn't expect those two things to go together. Forgiveness, you would think, would produce licentiousness. I am forgiven. I can do whatever I want. But here the psalmist says that I am forgiven and it results in a life that genuinely fears the Lord. And if you've been tracking with what we've been saying so far, you realize why that's the case. Because the fear of the Lord consists in much more than being afraid of His judgment. It consists in a loving submission 
to all that God has revealed. Or you can say it this way. There will be no genuine fear of the Lord until we experience His forgiveness. It's essential. Look at Proverbs chapter 16, verse 6. It's a beautiful verse. I love this verse. It says, By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Now, in order to understand this verse, you have to realize that atoning for sin is not something that man does ever in the Bible. The word atonement is only, always something that God does. This word is always connected to sacrifices. It's saying that the only way our iniquity could be atoned for and dealt with, apart from our being punished for it, is through sacrifice that the Lord has provided. The sacrificial system that's based upon God's faithful character of grace. Because of God's grace, He's provided a way for His people to be reconciled to Him, forgiven, made right with Him. And we know that in the cross, God's steadfast love and faithfulness has been put on the greatest display. But then, look at this parallel line. First it says, by God's steadfast love and faithfulness, our iniquity could be atoned for through His provision of sacrifice. But look at this next line. And by the fear of the Lord... One turns away from evil. So, with, like, as with many Proverbs, you have to think about it. You have to chew on it. Well, what's the connection between these two lines? What's going on here? And I think what's going on is that this line is unpacking the only right response to grace. It's not careless living. It is not... Love of sin because grace is free, but it is the fear of the Lord. What does it mean to receive atonement for our iniquity? How do we respond to that? There's only one way. It's by the fear of the Lord and turning away from evil. Only those who have been graced can fear the Lord rightly. Grace, rightly understood, doesn't lead to license. It leads to the fear of the Lord. It leads to a trust Love and joyful submission in all that God demands. Listen to Charles Bridges, an old commentator um, on the book of Proverbs, talking about this very passage. He said, Iniquity is not purged that we should wallow again in the mire. The beam of light which scatters every record of condemnation is convincing, sanctifying, healing to the soul. Indeed, God shows the deepest abhorrence of sin in the very act of its expiation. Yet the implanted principle of obedience is no legal bondage. The fear of the Lord is at once a bridle to sin and a spur to holiness. It changes the slave into a child. Sin's very touch is hateful, and all its ways are abhorred and forsaken. Grace brings us into a new relationship with God. We're no longer under His wrath. We no longer hate Him and desire to run from His holiness. Rather, it's our greatest delight and the aim of our lives to be conformed to it. I'll give you an example. Um, say you're standing outside in a severe storm. The, the thunder is 
raging, there's lightning, hail is falling, wind is blowing, and you're under the wrath of this storm. And all you can think about is getting away from this storm. You hate this storm. Um, and you want nothing to do with it. But let's say, instead of being outside, you're actually in a nice, warm, dry, home, strong house when this storm comes up. Um, you're safe. The storm can't get you. It's raging outside your window, but you're actually not even thinking about getting away from it. In fact, you sort of enjoy it. You stand at your window looking out at the severity of it, the greatness of it, the power of it, enjoying the storm from the safety of your home. You're free to live a life not seeking to get away from the storm, but joyfully living in the midst of it because you're protected in your house. And that is exactly what we are in Christ because of the gospel. We're free to live in the presence of this holy God because we've been totally forgiven. And now it's our greatest desire not to get away from Him, but to know Him and obey Him and love Him and be conformed into His image. Jerry Bridges said this. There it is. I cannot emphasize too strongly the importance of living our Christian lives each day in the atmosphere of the Gospel. The Gospel is not just for unbelievers, it is also for us. Because we are still sinners. Saved sinners to be sure, but still sinners in need of the daily assurance of God's forgiveness through Christ. As we experience His love through His forgiveness, our hearts are drawn to Him in this filial fear. And we stand amazed at His love. So, let me invite you. Live afresh in the Gospel. Let God's holiness drive you to His grace daily. And then let His grace and forgiveness in Christ drive you to live out a life that fears Him, takes Him seriously, bows with trembling humility and love and trust in all that God has revealed in His promises and in His warnings. So we've seen what the fear of the Lord is. We've seen where it comes from. And then finally, we need to talk about what comes from it. Um, what are the fruits that it bears in one's life? Or to say it another way, what are the evidences that the fear of the Lord is really alive and active in my heart? How do I know? Say just one thing. The best evidence that the fear of the Lord is alive and active in my heart is a resulting life which pursues universal obedience to the Lord. A term universal obedience or universal holiness is a word the Puritans like to use. We've been with the men in our Sunday school class going through John Owen. And he uses this word universal holiness to talk about this comprehensive pursuit of the Lord. Every aspect of our lives, nothing put to the side, total devotion to the Lord in every aspect. It doesn't mean perfection, but it's a new direction which seeks to obey and submit to the Lord. Obedience doesn't put you into a relationship with Him, but it is the essential evidence that you have this genuine relationship. The fear of the Lord always produces these things. We could go to many verses, but let me just point out three of them. Job 28.28 says, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. The turn away from evil, that is understanding. 
Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. That's the evidence that it's alive in your heart. First thing is, what do you do with the Lord's Word? How do you treat it? And then, how do you respond to sin? Are you casual with it? Do you pursue universal holiness? Do you just obey the easy things? Or is it a total pursuit of every aspect of my life? Not perfection, but a pursuit to submit my whole life to the Lord. That's the evidence that the fear of the Lord has taken root in my heart. So let me encourage you tonight, just cultivate the fear of the Lord. If you're a believer, you have this. It's alive in your heart, and it's our duty. The Proverbs calls us to grow in it. The wise are those who fear the Lord, and yet the Proverbs says, let the wise hear and increase in learning. Um, There's a lot more um, growth that still needs to take place in my life. Here's our definition again. It is a hard attitude which is humbly submitted to, stands in awe of, and by faith joyfully lives in light of all that God has revealed to us and done for us. It requires God's revelation. Without it, you can't have it. And what you do with God's word reveals whether you fear him or not. Sinclair Ferguson said, The fear of the Lord is that indefinable mixture of reverence Fear, pleasure, joy, and awe, which fills our hearts when we realize who God is and what He has done for us. So aim at obedience. Aim at turning from evil. Pursue all of this by bowing to God's revelation. Don't use God's Word just to try to get some good feelings. Yeah, there's good emotions that come from it. It's not, and it's not just a practical to-do list, although there's practical things in it. God's Word is about knowing God. It's about revealing God, His character to us. Dig in it. Seek to know God in the Scriptures. Go after it like hidden treasure. Use His promises and warnings to put sin to death. The fear of the Lord is to take God seriously in all that He has spoken. And then live in light of the grace of God, which has forgiven all of our sins for Christ's sake. And allow that to be the spur which drives us to fear Him, to obey Him. And allow all of this um, to be at work in your life for His glory. So that's what it means to fear the Lord, and it is the essence of wisdom. So next time you are in the book of Proverbs reading, Realize that fear of the Lord is not just the beginning of wisdom. It's the essence. It's, it's, it's what it constitutes. If you don't have this, you don't have any of it. And really, it is the summary of the Christian life. It's what it means to be a believer. Um, if you hear others say they fear the Lord, challenge them. Take them to the text. Take them to the Word. And um, offer the Lord's glory. So let me pray.